Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 707 for release on Sunday, September 11th, 2022. On WaveScan today, Seattle, the background story. William Dubillier, the forgotten radio inventor, will have our first report from HFCC B-22 in Sofia, Bulgaria, and our Philippine DX report with Henry Umberai. The city of Seattle is the largest city in the American western state of Washington. It lies on the eastern side of Puget Sound, and it's just 100 miles from the international border with Canada. The original inhabitants were Duwamish Indians, whose ancestors had migrated across the Bering Sea from Siberia. And by the time of the first European visitors, they had established 17 villages in the area. Here's Ray Robinson now with the background on Seattle and the forgotten radio inventor. Thanks, Jeff. So first, some background on the development of the Seattle area. The first European visitor to the area was Englishman Captain George Vancouver, who commanded a Royal Navy expedition to chart the western coast of North America in May 1792. More than half a century later, in September 1851, Two different parties, led by David Denny and Luther Collins, settled in the area that subsequently became Seattle. Two years later, in 1853, the small community gave the name Seattle to their settlement, in honour of a local Duwamish chieftain. The total population of Seattle and its extended metropolitan area these days is around 4 million. Seattle lays claim to installing the first gasoline or petrol pump in the world in 1907, though St. Louis, Missouri, also claims a similar event two years earlier in 1905. The Seattle claim honours John McLean, who was sales manager in Washington State for the Standard Oil Company of California. He purchased a small property adjacent to the Standard Main Depot, and with engineer Henry Harris, they constructed a pipe from the main storage tank to a 30-gallon, 6-foot-high galvanised tank. On the tank was a glass gauge and a valve with a hose, so that the gasoline could be pumped directly into vehicles. However, perhaps the two best-known symbols representing Seattle would be the Space Needle, which was erected in 1962, and the massive Boeing aircraft factories that had their earliest beginnings in Seattle in 1926. The Space Needle was commemorated by an official American postage stamp 60 years ago, and numerous airmail postage stamps have been issued, some of which might be construed as Boeing-related. The Space Needle was constructed in 1962 as a tangible symbol for the Seattle World's Fair, which attracted 10 million visitors from all around the world. The Space Needle is an observation tower standing 600 feet tall, and the design of the monument represents both a giant balloon tethered to the ground and a surrealistic flying saucer. 
The tower was designed and constructed to be strong enough to endure wind speeds up to 200 mile an hour and also an earthquake rated at a massive 9 on the Richter scale. Many countries in the Americas, Europe, Africa and Asia staged major exhibits in the 1962 World's Fair in Seattle, including San Marino, the small independent country in the centre of Italy. This enclave of only 24 square miles with a population of just 30,000 has obtained as much as 10% of its government revenue from the worldwide sale of its postage stamps, although of course philately is not as popular now as it once was. The Seattle Centre monorail was also constructed for use at the 1962 World's Fair and it's still in use to this day. The monorail, with its twin lines, red and blue, connects downtown Seattle with Seattle Centre, a distance of almost one mile. These trains run in both directions, simultaneously departing from each terminal about every ten minutes, for a journey that lasts just two minutes, and they convey some two million passengers each year. The Boeing aircraft factories are noted best for their passenger or cargo airliners that are identified with the three-digit numbers beginning and ending with 7, such as 707, 717, 727, etc. And by the way, did you notice that this edition of WaveScan is number NWS 707? (laughs) During the past half century, Boeing has assembled and delivered 20,000 aircraft in this 7X7 series. Their largest assembly factory is at Everett, a 20-mile distant northern suburb of Seattle, and it occupies 100 acres. It's the largest building in the world. The company employs 200,000 workers, and fully assembled aircraft are conveyed to Payne Field, the main passenger airport for Seattle, for test flights and ultimate delivery to their new owners. And so, on to the first radio-related topic for Seattle, and it's about William Dubilia, the forgotten radio inventor. William Dubilia was born in New York City in 1888, and at the age of 15 in 1903, he read in the local newspaper that the famous wireless inventor Guglielmo Marconi was in the United States, presenting a series of lectures regarding the development of Morse code wireless communication. During the following year, 1904, another wireless inventor, Lee de Forest, installed wireless equipment at the World's Fair in St. Louis, Missouri, another wireless event with which Dubilia became familiar. The de Forest Morse code equipment was installed on a glass-enclosed platform on an ornate, specially built, 300-foot-tall wireless tower. Soon after those two highly significant events in the development of wireless communication, William Dubilier left high school, simply because his parents were unable to afford the payments for his continuing education. Instead, Dubilier took up schooling in electrical engineering, and he paid for this tuition by taking part-time employment with the Continental Wireless Telegraph and Telephone Company. In 1908, now at the age of 20, Dubilia formed his own wireless company, which he called the Commercial Wireless Telegraph and Telephone Company. He experimented with voice transmissions by wireless, for which he developed a new type of capacitor using crystal sheets of transparent mica. He manufactured a radio transmitter which was installed in a wooden box measuring just one cubic foot, and also a radio receiver about the same size. Other earlier wireless experimenters had displayed their wireless equipment at a World's Fair somewhere in the United States, and William de Billiard took the same opportunity. 
he traversed the American continent and installed his transmitter equipment at one end of the Manufacturers Hall at the Seattle World's Fair, which opened on June 21, 1909. The receiver was on display at the other end of the same hall, and at times also elsewhere in the fairgrounds. The newspaper coverage was exuberant, praising the clarity of the radio transmissions of speech and recorded and live music. After the fair closed in October, Dubilia visited the Lunar Amusement Park, where he discovered that a venturesome entrepreneur had set up his own radio receiver and was charging people ten cents to listen to the Dubilia music on his receiver headphones. <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest, there's a native Indian festival called Potlatch, held each summer. And during the 1910 Potlatch celebrations, Dubilia demonstrated an improved version of his radio equipment and once more the newspaper coverage was exuberant in their praise. The equipment was quite small, just a one-foot cube, and not the size of a dining room table like the equipment other inventors were displaying. In October 1910, Dubilia constructed a 320-foot tall wooden tower on the outskirts of Seattle, the largest wooden tower in the world at that time, they said, and he broadcast speech and music that was heard clearly in Tacoma, some 30 miles distant. Again, newspaper praise was exuberant. Two years later, Dubilia repeated his broadcast activities during the summer potlatch celebrations, and this time the exuberant news coverage even went nationwide. The newspapers were commenting on the clear quality of reproduction for both voice and music. At that stage, Dubilia announced plans to establish a factory in Seattle for the manufacture and sale of his radio transmitters and receivers. However, he was unable to raise sufficient funding and the intended project collapsed. In 1922, the 34-year-old William Dubilia left Seattle and returned to New York City, where he established a factory to manufacture capacitors. That venture was highly successful, and ten years later again, his factory merged with Cornell Radio. By 1966, Dubilia held a total of 350 radio-related patents. He died in 1969, aged 81. So, why was his venture to manufacture compact transmitters and receivers with a quality superior to that of other manufacturers not successful? Well, all we can say, it must be the fact that he was in the wrong location at the time. Perhaps if he'd been further south or closer to the east coast rather than on the west coast, he might have achieved greater success. These days, though, William Dubilia is never included in the list of pioneer wireless and radio inventors. Many of the names that are heralded widely as the heroes whose inventions have been developed into what we now know and accept as radio. But William Dubilia is a forgotten pioneer. We express our appreciation to radio broadcaster Monsignor Dr. Tom Roberts for suggesting that we present the fascinating story of radio broadcasting in Seattle in Washington State in the United States of America. In this edition of WaveScan, we've presented just the first two topics in the Seattle wireless and radio story. Further episodes in this mini-series are already in the planning stages. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Well, as many of our regular WaveScan listeners know, representatives of the major shortwave stations around the world get together twice each year to coordinate their broadcast schedules at the HFCC, or High Frequency Coordination Conference. 
The HFCC did not have in-person conferences for the past two and a half years due to the pandemic. So the first in-person HFCC meeting since February of 2020 took place in Sofia, Bulgaria during the last week of August 2022, and Wayscan was there to cover the meeting. Our trip to Bulgaria began in Miami with a non-stop flight on Turkish Airlines to the new Istanbul Airport in Turkey. Ladies and gentlemen and dear children, welcome to Istanbul Airport, meeting point of the world. We hope that you had a pleasant flight. Thank you for flying with Turkish Airlines. We spent a night in the Istanbul Airport Hotel to recuperate a bit from the 12-hour flight from Miami. The new airport on the outskirts of Istanbul is gigantic, and it has huge duty-free shops selling Turkish handicrafts and food, such as Turkish delight and Turkish coffee, among many others. There's also what they call an old bazaar, which is a kind of cafeteria or food court where you can order all kinds of Turkish food and listen to Turkish music. But soon it was time to board our flight from Istanbul to Sofia, Bulgaria. It's a very short distance, really, and it only takes about an hour to fly there. So we landed at the Sofia airport and took a taxi to downtown Sofia to the Sofia Balkan Hotel. Well, this was the meeting location for the HFCC B-22 Coordination Conference, where stations coordinated their schedules for the B-22 broadcast period, which runs from the last Sunday in October of 2022 until the last Sunday in March of 2023. So let's listen now to the opening remarks at the HFCC B-22 conference. After my own remarks as HFCC chairman, you'll hear remarks by Venceslav Georgiev of Spaceline Bulgaria, operator of the X-Radio Bulgaria transmitters. After him, you'll hear comments from Mohsen Gomam of ASBU, the Arab States Broadcasting Union. And finally, you'll hear opening remarks from Ahmed Nadim of the Asia-Pacific Broadcasting Union, who was joining us via Zoom from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I can't tell you how happy I am to see us all together in person again after two and a half years. It's been a long time. Two and a half years of pandemic and, and virtual meetings. Uh, we survived it, but uh, no doubt it will be much better now and easier to coordinate with everyone here in person. Uh, and we do have a number of uh, delegates with us, I see, uh, on Zoom as well. Not everyone is here, of course, uh, as many parts of the world are still experiencing pandemic situations and uh, air transportation in many areas is in a state of chaos. You might have noticed that uh, one person who is usually here at the head table is missing, our HFCC systems coordinator and steering board member Jerry Plummer. Uh, as many of you know, tragically passed away about a month ago. Uh, we already miss him greatly, and I'm going to have more to say about Jerry uh, during our closing plenary on Thursday afternoon. In addition to the pandemic and air transportation problems, the war in Ukraine has also made some people afraid to travel to Bulgaria. Everything is quite calm here, 
but we, we are actually in the middle of Eastern Europe and fairly close to the action in, in some people's minds. Um, the FCC is close to the crisis, the HFCC, sorry. Um, and, and the old saying that shortwave is crisis radio is never more true than it is today. As many of you know, since the end of February, uh, listeners have been writing to many of our stations saying that they've just discovered or rediscovered shortwave radio as a, as a result of the events taking place in this part of the world. It's probably the only good thing that has come out of the situation, an increase in the number of people listening to shortwave broadcasts. Uh, many stations have initiated or expanded their transmissions, uh, beamed to uh, Eastern Europe. And all of this shortwave activity has not gone unnoticed by the world's media. Uh, I've seen dozens of articles or reports about the resurging interest in shortwave radio that have been published in newspapers from the Washington Post to the London Telegraph and on major uh, radio and television uh, stations and networks around the world. Some of them actually uh, visited our station, uh, WRMI in Florida, and spent hours uh, taking tours and filming and, and doing uh, interviews. All of this uh, publicity has been a good thing for shortwave radio. Uh, as a lot of people who don't know anything or didn't know anything about it uh, have now learned something about shortwave. And all of these expanded shortwave broadcasts have been reaching a wider audience in Eastern Europe and other parts of the world. Actually, the pandemic has led to a much larger shortwave audience as well. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many emails and letters we received from uh, people saying that they're spending a lot more time listening to uh, shortwaves since they were out of work or, or working from home uh, during the pandemic. At the recent meeting of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters in Washington, D.C., last month, uh, all of the member stations agreed that uh, their audiences had increased during the pandemic. So, like the war in Ukraine, one good thing has come out of the pandemic, uh, uh, a larger audience for shortwave radio. So, yes, shortwave is often crisis radio, but we're carrying out an important role, and uh, those who are planning frequency schedules to make these programs better heard in the various target areas are doing a very important job. That's our job this week in Sofia. Uh, enjoy your time here in Bulgaria, and thanks to Spaceline for hosting us here once again. Uh, I would like to uh, present uh, Vensi Gergiev, uh, Spaceline, who has a few remarks for us. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff, and uh, I will only be short, hopefully. So, dear ladies and gentlemen, dear B-22 meeting attendees and conference guests, on behalf of Space One LTD, as a co-host of the HFCC B22 conference meeting and HFCC member, and also a successor of the shortwave broadcasting services in Bulgaria, I would like to welcome you on this conference meeting here in Sofia. And of course, to thank you for all, to all of you for visiting our capital again for this great event. Well, it's emblematic that the very first HFCC conference was held here in our country a long time ago, and now it's our joy to see all of you while hosting again the first in-person conference meeting after a long period when we missed the real spirit of the personal HFCC meetings. We are very grateful to the HFCC steering board and the conference sponsors, uh, of course, uh, that uh, made this conference to be held in Sofia this season. 
and for the third time ever in Bulgaria. And we hope that uh, it will become uh, more or less traditional event for our country. We deeply regret that one of us, Dr. Jerry Plummer, an HFCC steering board member and a great HFCC charter, that we all admire very much and uh, who has been really great shortwave broadcasting supporter and a personal friend of mine, I dare to say, I won't be with us here in Sofia and uh, anymore for good, as our fellow friend passed very suddenly just before that meeting. But we know that uh, Jerry uh, really hoped and worked to very last moment to see all of us here on this conference meeting in Sofia. Thus, in order to memorize his presence on this meeting and in our hearts, if you don't mind, uh, we decided uh, to put his name here on the front desk, desk uh, next to all participants as he always wanted to be here with us. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope Sofia will meet you with its charm again. We wish you a wonderful stay here for the B22 conference meeting and uh, of course good luck to all of you uh, here on the conference. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Vinci. Uh Wilson from the ASBU has a few remarks. Good morning. Uh, so on behalf of uh, ASBU, uh, we are very happy to resume face-to-face -face, uh, coordination again here in uh, Sofia. And uh, after this uh, pandemic of COVID, uh, it is uh, with great bitterness and regret that we learned of the sudden disappearance of our colleague, Jerry. He was a very active member of the steering uh, board and uh, is, uh, he was uh, very active in the, uh, helping the, the community of uh, short waves. You know, short waves is uh, now uh, the, the traditional broadcasting systems are facing uh, new technologies and we need, I think, more and more support. So uh, peace to his soul, and we extend our condolen uh, condolence to his family and his friends. Uh, at the end, uh, we wish uh, you the success to, to, uh, for your coordination, work, and uh, have a pleasant time here in Sofia. Thank you very much. Uh, do we have Nadim uh, with us by Zoom or... or uh... Yes, yes, Jeff, I'm okay, here. Okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Lady. <laughs> no, 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 not, not a problem, not a problem. Yeah, I should have been there physically. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, we were not able to make it. Anyway, uh, good to see you all, Jeff and uh, colleagues. Uh, we also joined in uh, passing our condolences to Jerry, his family and friends. Uh, it's, it's a huge loss, uh, uh, noting how charismatic his presence always was. I think... Uh, one uh, important point that Jeff also noted in his earlier remarks, it is very important. And I think uh, to, to, that, to that right, there was a recommendation that came out from the World Broadcasting Union's Technical Committee supporting a, de a, a declaration that was published by the European Broadcasting Committee uh, uh, Union that it is very important that we keep all delivery mediums alive especially in times of crisis and what we have seen during the pandemic. 
So I think uh, it's an important note, especially in times of crisis, how important our broadcast media has always been. Uh, on that note, uh, thank you again and uh, wish you all the best. Thank you, Nadim. And those were the opening addresses at the opening plenary session of the HFCC Shortwave Coordination Conference in Sofia, Bulgaria. We'll have a lot more about that meeting next week on Wayscan. But now let's go to Henry Umatai with his Philippine DX report. Hello everyone, to our dear shortwave listeners, wherever you are welcome to the September 11th edition of the Philippine DX. This report number 186. I'm Henry Umatai in City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. I would like to thank our DXR friends for sending a reception report. Most recently, Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada, Mr. Bill Harms in Walworth, New York, USA, Mr. Pradeep Kondo in Kolkata, India, and Mr. Chan Sakri Alvarez in Cavite here in the Philippines. To all of you, thank you very much. Reception logs for August 2022, August 7, Radio Free Asia on 13750 in Chinese from Kuwait. At 0425 SIO 430 August 7, Radio Free Afghanistan on 17880 Syrian Pasto from Montani. At 0936 SIO 444 August 7, China Radio International on 17680 in Malayalam from Kuning Aning. At 0939 SIO 444 August 7, Voice of America on 13755 in Chinese. Ramo Dantani at 7945 SIO 333 August 14 Radio Taiwan International on 12065 in Amoy from Pauchong at 0946 SIO 555 August 14 KCBS Pyongyang on 11680 in Korean from Kanji at 1140 SIO 433 August 14 Voice of America on 11825 in Chinese from Tinang at 0949 SIO 4 for August 14, Sarak FM on 9835 in Malayalam, Pram Kajang at 0955. SIO 4 for August 21, Rich Bian Australia on 9580 in Korean, Pram Kununura at 0825. SIO 433 August 21, Adventist World Radio on 17540 in Ilocano, Pram Agat Guam at 1033. SIO 433 August 28, Adventist World Radio. On 15500 in Mongolian, Pramagat Guam at 1037. SIO343 August 28, Transworld Radio KTWR on 11965 in Indonesian, Pramarisa Guam at 1043. SIO443 August 28, Radio Taiwan International on 12065 in Hakka, Pramapauchong at 1042. SIO555 August 28, Masal Radio. On 15365 in Pasto, Parmodan Dani, 0932, SIO343. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs, and informations to pilipinasdx at gmail.com. That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-S-D-X for pilipinasdx at gmail.com. This has been Henry Umaday for Wavescan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental, Central Philippines. Say mabuhay at maraming salamat po. And we end today's wave scan with music uh, by the Sophia Chamber Choir performing at St. Alexander Nevsky Cathedral in Sofia, Bulgaria. 
Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone.